Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It's Metal Shop here on The Rock. Right now, I have a band called Training for Utopia. Now, this band is reuniting for a show at El Corazon. Uh, They're going to be playing Friday, September 15th alongside Eris. Just saw Eris live with two guitarists. Wow. Incredible, incredible sound. Training for Utopia is back, and I got Don and Ryan Brothers, the Brothers Clark from Training for Utopia. You might know them from Demon Hunter. Uh, guys, welcome back to Metal Shop. Thanks for having us. So, uh, we were just recalling off air. Uh, mm-hmm. Let's do this on air. The, the, you know, the reason for Training for Utopia to come back, other than, you know, people want to hear it and people want to see this band again. You know, how did this happen? Yeah. Um, so... Yeah, I was kind of explaining. Demon Hunter played Furnace Fest last year. Yeah. And that was the first time we'd ever played that. Um, And, you know, Furnace Fest is sort of known for reuniting bands and kind of doing these, um, you know, bringing bands up from the dead, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And uh, we'd always kind of known that it might be, you know, an ask at some point if we wanted to get back together or, you know, my band Focal Point that even predates Training for Utopia, you know kind of in up in the air and so to speak and so we knew that it was it was potentially going to happen chad one of the guys who runs the festival uh is a good friend of ours known him for a long time and so he sort of put the bug in our ear when we were there and don and his son cash were at furnace fest with us last year and Mm -hmm. so we i didn't think don would want to do it (laughs) because don hasn't played guitar really since he left demon hunter in 2008 um and he didn't think I wanted to do it because he thought my, I'm assuming my focus was like sort of singularly yeah, Demon yeah, Hunter totally. for music, you know? And so each of us kind of thought that the other one didn't want to do it. And we actually verbalized yeah. to each other and <laughs> we're, you know, I'll do it. I'll do it. So that's kind of what got us to the next step, which was reaching out to the other guys, um, Morley and Steve, the, the rhythm section. Those guys still live in the Sacramento area where we're from. And we had not talked or seen those guys, talked to or seen them in 21 years. Um, I think the last time we saw either of them would have been my wedding, which was 21 years ago. So um, we had to track those guys down via some uh, some mutual friends that we kind of still keep in contact with. And then set up a Zoom call. And we had no idea if they would be into it, yeah. if they would want to do it, like how long it had been since they played. And we just got together on a Zoom call and um, turns out they're both stoked about the idea and wanted to do it. Um, 
it had definitely been a while since they played, but mm-hmm. you know they were up for the challenge, and so um, we did a couple of just impromptu, you know, uh, zooms, and then we've been texting and stuff. And in June, early June, we had them up here and did our first like official practice yeah. in twenty three years. So how um, was that? How did that feel? It was better than I think we expected it to be. Yeah. Um, yeah, surprisingly, like we had not, you know, like Ryan said, we had not played in over 21 years. And the, uh, Morley, the drummer, had not played drums, what, like 12? 12 years. Wow. Yeah, and it went way better than I actually anticipated. I thought it would be just an absolute mess. And, um, you know, the the drum parts came back from Morley pretty well. Cool. Um, and, yeah, it felt, it felt amazing, you know, like just like no time had passed almost. And... Um, it was just, it was super cool. And yeah, we practiced for like three days. Three days. Yeah. By the end of like end of the third day, um, we made it through. We stumbled through the whole set without, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> having to stop a song, you know. Um, so we made it. Um, and then we're going to have them back up here the week prior to these shows. Yeah. And just really cram, you know, for the, this show. And then we're playing um, two days after the El Corazon show. We're playing the Hawthorne down in Portland. Awesome. On Sunday night. And then that next week, we'll sort of make our way down to Birmingham and and play Furnace Fest. But that's all that's on the docket right now. Yeah. Um, but, you know, bringing this thing back from the dead also has us just like, you know, what could we do? With, yeah. You know, could yeah. we, could we do a little band, bit more of this? Or What would the band sound like, you know, 25 years later or whatever? Yeah. It's been kind of – it's been cool to kind of like, uh, you know, mess around with that idea basically. I mean, the style of music that you guys played was I mean, ahead of its time, uh, I would say. There's a lot of bands that are kind of doing that thing now. Uh, that style of music and, and hardcore is bigger than it's ever been, mm-hmm. ever. You know, you have bands like Turnstile blowing up and going all over alternative, and, and you guys were, you know, I mean, Botch is back, you know, those yeah, kind mm-hmm. of style, you know what I mean? So it's like there's definitely... I, I'm I'm assuming when when this was announced, you guys probably got some texts from some old friends. Mm-hmm. Yo, uh, yeah, what's totally, up? Totally. Well, it's like that twenty, thirty, you know, twenty, twenty-five, thirty-year mark where it's like that, you know, the nostalgia, you know, um, also just like as you know, older guys, just like the whole dad, you know. I told my friend the other day, I was like, this is better than buying a Corvette, dude. Yes, <laughs> yes. Midlife crisis stuff. But it's, it is really cool. And, you know, like, like you said, like we, we were just huge fans of Coalesque and Today is the Day and yep. Neurosis. And we were just, you know, we were just kids just messed around. And it was, you know, when you put it on, it's like you can't even hear the drums because the mix is so terrible. Sure. But it's just like, it's just a wall of sound. And then you, you know, bands that were into us, um, yeah, we're able to like do polished versions of it and got huge. And it was, it's, I mean, it's been cool um, for sure. And we, you know, Ryan and I started a band um, in 2000 that, you know, was a, was a success and they totally like creatively fulfilled, you know, um, as far as I'm concerned, when I, when, when we did Demon Hunter, it was just, it was such a, uh, it's such a great thing um, yeah. for us to start. So yeah, um, all that to be, all that to say, like, I feel like, now is the time. Like, it's the right time. Mm-hmm, like, I feel mm-hmm. like it wouldn't have been right five years ago. Yeah. So, yeah, it's all all working out. That's amazing. So let's get a time. Like, let's play the time game here, basically. Like, I'm, I need to know. So Training for Utopia was never a Seattle band, right? Were you guys a Sacramento? Yeah. Sacramento, yeah. right? Yep. 
And so you guys moved up to Seattle after training Utop- for Utopia? Yeah. So um, I think our last few shows, it was kind of a weird ending of the band um, and not a very like definitive ending either. Mm-hmm. It was just... Don had recently, towards the end of, the, of Training for Utopia, Don had gotten married and mm. moved to Arizona um, to live with his new wife. Yeah. And at that time, TFU wanted to keep going. So we actually did a handful of shows as a three-piece. Okay. Um, because I was playing guitar at that point. When the band started, I didn't play guitar. I just yeah. sang. And then pretty soon after after that, I started playing guitar. So that gave us the ability to be able to play as a three-piece. But we did a show with Neurosis. Um, awesome. Just, just as a three-piece. I think that might have been one of our last shows. Um, and then shortly after that, my brother moves back with his wife to Sacramento area. And then shortly after that, he's like, I'm moving to Seattle. Design job. Do you want to go with me? And... I said yes, and so sort of on a whim, we we uh, moved up here, and we you know we had talked to the guys, and I think everyone was sort of same point, and just kind of like cool with moving on, and it yeah. wasn't there wasn't a big discussion about it. Um, yeah, nothing dramatic. <laughs> nothing dramatic because it was because it had gone from like the four piece to the three piece to kind of like volatile. I think it was already feeling like it was kind of falling apart. Sure. And so it wasn't like a surprise to us. Um, and then, yeah, like Don said, we moved to, to up to here and then started Demon Hunter like a year later. And then that was just all encompassed, you know, yeah. it, for the last 20 something years for me, it's just been, you know, always happening. And so, again, uh, it's just the right, it feels like the right time to bring this back just because yeah. Demon Hunter's well-established like I can it's a beautiful thing because I can sort of pick that up whenever I want to mm-hmm. and kind of set it down when I want to do something else and I've done that whether it's for work or for a, you know a side band or yeah. something like that um, and it's ended up working out so this is just another version of that where you know some things it feels like are better left in the past for a long time and then it sort of comes full circle and you're mm-hmm. like this would actually be really cool to do and you kind yeah. of gain a new perspective and a new appreciation for it at that time when we were doing Training for Utopia, that sort of noisy, noise core thing that Don, like Don said, Coalesce and bands like that were doing, um, it was relatively new, mm-hmm. um, but it seems like in hindsight, it was a bit more of a um, novelty in terms of our tastes. Like we almost kind of grew out of it when we started doing Demon Hunter because that sort of sound like the the really polished like 90s Roadrunner metal sound. Yeah was something that we wanted to do for a long time and something that we knew would we would continue to want to do for a long time. Yeah. So that's what Demon Hunter sort of fulfilled for us. And going back to the Training for Utopia stuff now is actually like feels really cool because yeah. <clears throat> it uh it's something that we haven't really touched in a long time yeah. and that that sort of moment in time that uh that existed back then I mean, we were just slopping stuff together. And <laughs> yeah. neither of us are good guitar players. We were just making do with what we had. Um, and so it's a lot of fun to dust off all that old stuff mm-hmm. and just, like, you know, remember parts of it. Totally don't remember other parts of it. Sure. Um, but just kind of cobble it together. But I think even when we were talking about starting this back up, we all said to each other, like, this 
we all want this to sound we want to sound uh, better than we ever have 20 yeah. some and we do like I, you know I, that's awesome we can all i think play better and it sounds better so yeah i'm i'm like excited to play i'm excited to see what fans think and um we were you know. always we were always an absolute mess yeah. like our our shows in the 90s it was just we were not prepared. We were, you know, we would break a string and just like sit there and fix it <laughs> yeah. between it songs. Punk. Yeah. Very, very punk. And we would play songs like 200% the speed yep. of what they are on the record. I think we thought that was cool, but what it really was was like it just made them into this unlistenable <laughs> mash. But that, was, that was just so part of the package, though. It, it totally was. was like, that yeah. was what you. To you the know. extent that when we did like a little you know, best of kind of compilation mm-hmm. at the end of the band's run. We called it technical difficulties because we, it, the that band was, was just life. wrought with technical difficulties, yeah. whether it was an ant blowing up or, um, you know, forgetting songs or just, it was just a mess. But we, and now know, we have the chance to yeah. like write for the first yeah. time. Like we've been playing, you've got you the know, pro gear. Yeah. We've yeah, got, yeah. The, got the gear. The I've been in yeah. a professional band yeah, for a long say, time. We've got like the DH pedigree as like a template, you know, like Ryan, you know, has all, all these bells and whistles now that we can actually use at our disposal. Yeah. I was just thinking how TFU, we would most like on the floor, on the ground, on the floor. Yeah. Which <laughs> we, is, we rarely which is were my on favorite. Stage. I love, I yeah, love exactly. Which made it like when we talk about being just like a mess and just sweat everywhere and strings broken, it was like, that was part of the, the, the oh, joy. Totally. All, you know, yeah. And like I mean, all right there. a lot of it was by design, you know, some of it was just like that we weren't good musicians and we <laughs> didn't have good gear and stuff. But, the other half was that we were chaotic by design and we would, you know, I would jump head first into the drum set and I would grab my guitar with both hands by the strings and just try to shake my guitar <laughs> sure. off of the strings, yeah. you know. A buddy um, of mine, like an uh, old friend of mine the other day was like, yeah, with TFU, didn't you guys, It's it, uh, I had heard one time that you guys just take all your riff ideas and smash them into like a song. I was like, yeah, that's pretty much, pretty right. much but what there was did. no like, you know, yeah, there wasn't tempo, a whole like, me- didn't matter. not a whole lot of method, just no. kind of like what sounds the craziest off tempo stuff. Let's, if we're going fast, let's go slow right afterwards. Like, yeah. Yeah. You know. And we were, you know, we were fans of Coalesce and Converge and all these bands that were leaps and bounds more talented than we were. And so we were sort of kind of, trying to emulate what they were doing with this weird off-time stuff. Sure. But we couldn't really fully <laughs> yeah. grasp, <Yeah>. grasp <laughs> how to do that like in a really cool way like bands like Meshuggah or Coalesce yeah. do, you know? And so what you hear is like us trying to do that and sort of making it maybe like an eighth of the way. Yeah. You know? So there's like, there's hey, a got, couple of sections. We got a record deal out of it. So. We did. <laughs> there you go. There's a few sections that are like maybe 5-4 or something like that. Or, yeah. Or the... On accident. You know, the the compositions are, are kind of odd for, for songs. But um, most of the time, it's just like 4-4 four, four stuff played really fast yeah. and sloppy. <laughs> nice. Yeah. You know? Awesome. Well, I'm going to pause for a second. We'll, uh, this interview, and we're going to jump into a song from, uh, from Training for Utopia. Again, they're playing at El Corazon with Eris on Friday, September 15th. Tickets are available now. They're also going to be playing uh, Furnace Fest down in Alabama. So uh, going to be pretty awesome. Uh, we're going to play The Falling Cycle. Who wants to uh, tell me about The Falling Cycle? This was an earlier song of you guys, right? Yeah, this was the first EP. Um, so at the time, I was in a band called Focal Point. Yep. And my brother had started Training for Utopia with a, a different singer. <clears throat> I don't know how many people know that, but um, the first iteration of the band was with a guy named Rob Denler. And Rob and my brother kind of formed this band. 
while I was busy with Focal Point. Um, Focal Point gets off the road in 1997, 1997 in the summer, and I could quickly tell that Focal Point was kind of fizzling. Mm-hmm. The, the tour we went on was sort of a trial by fire. We yeah. were, you know, 18 years old. We went all the way across the country. Um, and so Rob was leaving to go back to L.A. where he was from. And so there was a, a hole to fill in training. And I would – my tastes and sort of um, what I wanted to do, training for Utopia was a lot more – at the time was a lot more what I wanted to do. Um, I had written lyrics for Focal Point. You know, I played guitar in that band. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would sort of been real hands-on with the vocals and yeah. background vocals, writing the lyrics, all that stuff. So I knew that I wanted to be a front man, wanted to be a singer. Yeah. Um, and so Training for Toby gave me that first opportunity to do that. And as soon as I joined, I would say probably a couple months later, we went and recorded an EP, which at the time we, we called Breathing in Disease. It was okay. just a demo. It was yeah. a demo. We put That's it on a cassette. Nice. Um, we recorded it with Eric Stenman at a studio called Enharmonic in Sacramento, which is like a it's a famous studio there. Um, Deftones, I think, did Adrenaline there. Nice. Um, and uh, we sent that cassette to Brandon Ebel at Tooth & Nail because mm-hmm. I already had that relationship. And he was like, I love it. I want to put it out. And so I don't know why we decided to change the name of the EP to The Falling Cycle. We named yeah, it after well, a song. I think yeah. that probably made more sense. But we uh, we did the seven inch and a CD version uh, in nineteen either late ninety seven or early ninety eight. Ninety seven. Ninety seven. Yeah. Okay, so it, it was all happening super fast. Yeah. Like focal points fizzling. I joined this band. Like we do a demo. Um, I took some of Rob's lyrics for three of the four songs mm-hmm. and adapted them in my own way, and then I wrote the lyrics to a song on my own. So. Um, it was kind of the end of that era and the beginning of, like, of, of a new one. Yeah. Actually, what were Rob Dendler's lyrics. So, okay. Yeah. Interesting. I like this backstory. So, <laughs> uh, Again, Training for Utopia. We're going to go into it. It's a falling cycle here on Metal Shop. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, You call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. 
Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. That was a falling cycle by Training for Utopia. You can see them in the flesh again back uh, Friday, September 15th uh, with Eris at El Corazon. This will be the first show in 23, I would say 23 years because I think we played right up to the end of 99. Okay. Okay. Awesome. Um, So, so Ryan, um, we're, you know, we've gone you know, into some of your incredible visual art and in past Demon Hunter uh, interviews. Uh, Don, were you a visual artist as well that uh, kind of influenced Ryan? Is that the story or? Uh, I, yeah, I'm, you know, uh, I don't think I influenced uh, Ryan's an amazing, <laughs> talented artist on his own. But like we, we were thick as thieves when in all things yeah. music and art. Yeah, and I, I'm still a visual artist. I'm a illustrator, graphic designer. And, awesome. Yeah, I want to be a musician. But um yeah, we, that's kind of a crazy story there too. Is I just started doing seven inch art for bands coming through town. Yeah, and, uh, po- not I didn't do posters, but uh, I don't know if you remember Life Sentence Records by Yeah. Okay, so X Ryan, Life Sentence X. Yes, right? you yeah. got it. I did that logo. <laughs> Let me. <laughs> you're you're the records. older brother, right? Yeah. Okay. I'm four just, years okay. older. Yep. So he started designing before it, considerably before I did. I didn't start professionally designing or really knowing what to do on a computer at all. Until um, 2000, late 2000, after we'd moved up here and I sort of got an internship at Tooth & Nail. But awesome. He, he was doing, you know, he did the focal point art yeah. like in 96 or might have even been 95. Is this on Quark? Dude, yes, on Quark. And I would go to Kinko's. I didn't have a scanner. I'd go to Kinko's and scan everything. I was doing, I put all the photos or images that I tore out of National Geographic or whatever yeah, and yeah. put it on the flatbed scanner, uh, scanned it all in at 72 DPI, okay. uh, so just high quality. <laughs> and then uh, it's funny, the, the very first focal point, seven inches, all pixelated, mm-hmm. but it's like kind of looks crappy, like almost like we did it on purpose, yeah, but it was yeah. not. Um, That's what you tell people. Yeah, exactly. It's supposed to look like exactly. that. And then Dan Gump, owner of Life Sentence, who signed Focal Point, mm-hmm. uh, wanted to start using me for a bunch of different stuff, and so I did. And he would pay me in zip drives and seven inches. <laughs> so he would, he would, you know. Uh, yeah, so Don would do, he would either do the full, like, seven-inch design, or Dan would just have him sort of lay out pre-existing artwork. Yeah. So, like, with bands like Clear or Lifeless, they sent him like the cover sure. and the logo or whatever, and he would put it all together. Um, but it was like looking back, it was so you know I was thrown into the fire, and I you know like I didn't know what I was doing, and it was kind of school for me. And I was like you know having the time of my life working on artwork for these bands that I mm-hmm. loved or whatever. And then Brandon Ebel, once they Focal Point got signed, um, started hiring me and I did the focal I laid out the focal point record here in Seattle. He yeah. flew me up and I used Cork Express and yep. you know we Ryan uh who's the painter that did focal point? Um uh, Mark he did no effects. Yeah, he and, did Heavy Petting Zoo. Yeah. He did a handful of uh records back in the day, but nice. the one that it come, always comes to mind is that Heavy Petting Zoo cover. Mm-hmm. Um but that Mark, was the the focal point record was the start of like my 23-year career in the arts. I mean, uh, well in terms of a larger audience, you yeah. know, Tooth and Nail was much bigger than Live Sentence. And then um, if you fast forward to 2000, um, we, you know, when we moved up here, I had uh, basically Brandon uh, and myself and my partner, Dimitri, at the time um, signed like a, a year contract to work on a bunch of different records for yeah. Tooth and Nail. So that was, you were kind of the in-house that was designers. The yeah. And Ryan was cool. 
Ryan was actually in-house, and I we rented space from Tooth & Nail and got a lot of work from Tooth & Nail. But it was all this – it was just a bunch of friends. Ryan was getting paid by Tooth & Nail. We were getting paid as freelancers. Yeah. Um, there was and, so much – like, that was the heyday in terms of, um, you know, digital hadn't – come and taken mm-hmm. over yet so like records were still really selling and so there was still money to be had budgets were bigger and just the sheer volume of bands that we were putting out yeah. there were so many that me and whoever else would be in the art department at the time because it usually it was a two-person in-house art department couldn't cover everything that needed to be done yeah so don and the other guys that he worked with were basically picking up all the slack and so mm-hmm. we were kind of splitting the the workload between what was Asterix Studio, Don's company mm-hmm. back then, and then the, the in-house art department because there was just a ton of it. I mean, and you know, I, I, I always call that era like the MTV2 era because we were just yes. – we were doing records for so many bands mm-hmm. um, in that same scene. Like, you know, you name it. Uh, Pierce the Veil, for Sleep, Poison the Well. Like, you know, we were doing these bands for Tooth & Nail and then those other bands would see, you know, the art and then call us. And for five years straight, the phone basically rang off the hook and we were – just knee deep in albums, and we were having the time of our life. It was yeah. so the metalcore machine. Metalcore yeah. machine. Churning. Yes, and then, <laughs> and then it all kind of like uh, culminated with Foo Fighters in 2006. Wow. Mm-hmm. And then everything up to then that came Alice in Chains, and you know, yeah. Um, so yeah, it it was when I was actually at home. I had a newborn at the time, mm-hmm. and we, I got the call. Actually, Cash might you might have been uh, Cash might have been born. Really, really young, but I got the call to do the Foo Fighters at home, and I was like dancing around the house. My wife's like, "Oh my gosh!" It was just like you know, you've you did, made it. Yeah, totally. We've done all these. I like, mean, everything up bands. until that was yeah. small little hardcore yeah. bands, and then yeah. it was Foo Fighters, and then it was crazy. It was really, really sort of cool. Changed. And Ryan and I flew down and met with Dave and the band, and it was yeah. We could go on and on for with stories, but um, yeah. I love that though because it's exactly how you know. You look at so much of media, artists, you know, people, writers, a lot of people have their roots in punk rock and hardcore and men does it teach fake it till you make it Mm -hmm. DIY. Just do it. I've talked about that a lot lately. Yeah, there's we have a lot of, you know, we now that we sort of have segued from doing, uh, you know, hardcore album packages to doing corporate branding and stuff yep. like that. We work with a lot of really big companies, mm-hmm. um, Lego, Target, yeah. Nickelodeon. I saw your Target NASA, stuff. Yeah. yeah. And there are hardcore guys at all these companies. Yep. Mm-hmm. And I think it makes all the sense in the world because it was such a don't sit around and wait for someone to ask, mm-hmm. you know, it was that DIY ethic where it's like, I'm just going to, I'm just going to do it. I'm going to make it happen. Yeah. You know, I'm not going to ask permission. I'm not going to let. Wait, why isn't like, this being done? I'm right, just going to do right, it. Right. Yeah. You know, things like budget doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Like you're going to make it happen. Things like time doesn't matter. You're yep. going to find the time. Like those are the sort of hardcore ethos that like dudes like that had back in the day. And so it's no wonder at all that they're you know just flooded throughout every industry. You yeah. Know? Well, yeah, and it also that you know back then we were young, we didn't have mortgages and stuff, and so it was like the perfect time to hustle and just just do it for the love of it and grind and like there was there was hardly any responsibility and i the the you know the 
the things that we would do back then, we would never do now. We, we would basically, we would get a budget to do an album and we would spend every cent on photography. Yeah. And then, you know, we make zero, but mm-hmm. the, but the record looks dope. <laughs> so it looked like, great. And then we started getting calls from everyone because it looks so yeah. great. So we, we had the foresight to know that if you like really yeah. kill it and you put everything into it, regardless of how much you make, like it could become a calling card. It could get you work mm-hmm. and it could snowball into like much, much more. Um, but it's also when Ryan's talked about this too, and I, I, I as well. But the, this healthy obsession of like, you know, there's no plan B. This is, you know, yeah. we've we've done conferences, and I speak with speak at companies to their creative departments, and sometimes someone will come up and be like, you know, especially at um, conferences, like, you know, I love art. I, you know, I, I just I don't exactly know where to start. And a lot of you know, my mind is thinking, well. You're asking kind of the wrong – like if you're asking that question, I don't know if it's going to work for you <laughs> because mm-hmm. because there needs to be like I'm going to do it no matter what. I already know the names of all the people who do what I love because mm-hmm. I've researched the heck out of them. Yep. I'm already obsessed with them. I'm obsessed with the people those people are inspired by. Like, So you're going to make it no matter what because you just have, like, like I said, this healthy obsession – and that's how we were. It never once felt like work. It was always just like this is we're having the time of our life, yeah. hanging out with our friends. And it never felt art. like a risk either, yeah. which, I mean, a lot of it probably was. But I feel like if you risk with that sort of passion and like foresight and just like willing it into existence, I feel like the risk is yeah. a yeah. lot less, you know? Yeah. I, you know, it's it's going to sound super cheesy, but I will say, you know, just upon this re- reflection and hearing you guys talk, it's just – how beautiful of a thing is it that these this band that you started, you know, and in and, and these these, you know, obscene demos, you know, and, mm-hmm. and, and all these like seven inches that you were obsessed with as kids has now afforded you this lifestyle of being artists and doing it yourselves as, you know, adults. And now you are covered in tattoos and, you know, you're speaking to, you know, high up clients at Target and Lego and it's like and it all stems from yeah, it's underground. It it's is, pretty yeah. wild. Yeah. I mean, it's the, it's a very powerful powerful thing and I honestly think that like I was sort of saying hardcore is very unique in that way. Oh yeah. You know, there are lots of different music scenes that someone could get into growing up um and a lot of them probably wouldn't really do much for you. Yep. But c- hardcore is sort of like it's sort of a testing ground for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's like a trial by fire for the rest of your life where it's you have an awesome community of people. Yep. Um, back then, you had to sort of search for it. So you yeah. had to do a little bit of work, you know, which no is – No internet. Yeah, <laughs> which, yeah. You know, like um, it wasn't readily available. So it, it taught you to just be scrappy and like, well, I'm going to find yeah. these people. I'm going to find these records. I'm going to – And how many, how many like hardcore guys do we know – now a oh, yeah. lot yeah totally a lot. totally you know i was talking about the other day how when we would go book our tour or tfu our first tour you know there is obviously no internet and there yeah. was like the this black book of like okay here's the hardcore guys or gals in the cities here's their phone numbers yep. and if you want to play in their city call them they'll set you up so that's what we i, I somehow all these yeah these i got names, it from like, someone who got it from someone else who got it from someone else and i had this list and i booked our first tour and it was like hey you know uh sarah lives in charlottesville yeah. or you know it's just like it's yeah. so yeah. random it was like you got to go see igby down in yeah. southern california yeah it was like this like, francisco like, owns chapter records you like 
you know these names that just sort of yeah, exist. The secret club like, type thing. Yeah. I remember seeing Maximum Rock and Roll had something called Book Your Own Thing Live, mm-hmm. right? Yep. And and that was kind of yep. Uh, so yeah, that's right. That was sim- that had that all was those a huge numbers yep, and stuff. Yep. Yep. Uh, so you know, I was I was listening to a podcast. Uh, years ago and they were talking about how um shy halud went on tour with strong arm and um you know there were people that were uh, there was one venue that didn't want strong arm to play because they were a faith-based christian hardcore band um being you know in that scene of you know hardcore and stuff did you guys ever experience you know some pushback from you know the more punk or diy places that didn't want you know a mm-hmm. tooth and nail band yeah um I would say Focal Point sort of got a little bit more of it because that was even earlier. Yeah. And so within the hardcore scenes, straight edge scenes, it was more uh, it was more the fan base sure. than anything else. Um, but we would play shows where we would, you know, we'd go two songs in and we would just get in a fist fight on stage. Oh, wow. You know? <clears throat> um, bands would unplug our gear. But we were sort of scrappy as well. So like yeah. we would... You know, we would throw throw elbows, and uh, we would also <laughs> point, we would though. also unplug gear and stuff sure. like that. And then um, training. By the time training came around, I mean, we sort of sat on the fence about a lot of that stuff mm-hmm. as well. And our lyrics weren't overtly spiritual whatsoever. But we had the li- the the logo on the back of the record. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, nail, so the logo. You know? Yeah, that meant that was enough for a lot of people. You know, yeah. bands that we would play with or whatever. Like we would. We would play shows with bands and sort of get the cold shoulder, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but you know what's funny is they were always cool over our CD. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But oh, I think, you're yeah. a TNN yeah. man. But I think uh-huh. it was mainly we had some issues in Berkeley like early on. But I don't, uh-huh. which at the Gilman, I mean sure, that's gonna. Sure. Come, but I don't think I don't remember really much of it. We didn't have else. much there, of it. Focal Point had a lot of like heckling from the crowd sure, and that, stuff like yeah. that. People throwing stuff. By the time TFU came around, it was just like. I think it was less of a hard, like a stereotypical hardcore yeah, kid, right. yeah. and more of like a kind of grimy, like mm-hmm. San Francisco, like right. squattery yep. kind of fan. And I, I don't even know if they knew what to make of the labels. You right, know, right. like hardcore kids paid more attention to that kind well, of our, stuff. Our friends in Frodo signed a tooth and nail. You know, like they were a, not even Christian. Not even Christian. At all. Band. I remember they Nate's one of my closest friends, yeah. and he's like. We had no idea that yeah. we would get like anyone saying anything. We yeah. just signed to this label. We didn't even know. Yeah. And so they they got stuff from because they're from DC. Mm-hmm. They got stuff kind of from similar, not a ton, but from their scene, and they just didn't see it coming. Whereas like because they're of just Focal like, Point, oh, they just signed yeah, to a label mm-hmm. totally. Yeah. With Focal Point, I knew that that had happened, and kind mm-hmm. of like okay, this could happen with TFU. Um, but yeah, who would have known that like you know some of the biggest hardcore bands would be faith based now? <laughs> I mean, look, it's it's interesting when I talk with Jeff suffering from ninety pound was he was saying that they went through a similar thing and that's why he said ninety pound was ended up breaking up because they wanted to continue on with the sound that they were doing, but a lot of it had to do with like he didn't think that uh label that he said that they were tainted by the tooth and nail that like you know that that a label uh, like a different indie label wouldn't want to sign them so mm-hmm. they just you know broke up and he started his own things but mm-hmm. um yeah so it's it's interesting that um you know a couple of years later under oath mm-hmm. you know blows up mm-hmm. and then you know so many of these different bands as lay dying and mm-hmm. whatnot you know become these humongous names and now there's not really a stigma no right. yeah it was it was really short-lived the whole you know that whole kind of backlash um that era that Focal point was when that was happening. It was like focused, you know, down in Southern California, unashamed, overcome, 
in Arizona, strong arm, strong arm in Florida, yep. Zayo in West Virginia. It was living sacrifice, living yeah. sacrifice. Yeah, yeah, but there was they were in the metal scene where you know d- dudes just wanted to show up and headbang. Yeah, yeah. I don't know how didn't much really they, matter that much. Yeah. yeah, I don't know how much they got because hardcore kids were so serious about yes. the message, reading the lyrics. Like yeah, and, yeah, yeah, and so that was you know back at those shows there was like. There were bands, and then there were people selling vegan zines and like all this kind of peripheral hardcore stuff. So it's like that stuff was just as important as like the music and stuff. Or as metal. It wasn't like that at all. It was like, oh, they're heavy. They're that's yeah. Yeah, They have long hair. Cool. (laughs) So I know Bruce really well. I should talk to him and see how much of that sort of backlash they did get. Um, But I haven't really heard about that. Um, Yeah, and it was you know mid '90s, right up until about like '99. It seemed like that was. When it was the worst, yeah, and then yeah, by the time like under oath and and you know even just because I know it wasn't just relegated to hardcore alone, but you had like all these bands that were starting to sort of break at that yep. time, like um, that were tooth and nail bands and stuff. And I will was, say like ninety five percent of you know the hardcore scene was awesome, you know, and, yeah. and just be like let these guys do whatever they want, and and it, for the most part. Um, very like open scene and, and stuff, but there would there would always you know there was like the bad eggs or yeah. whatever. But yeah. yeah, and that's the other part that was so rad about the hardcore scene that is so today was this understanding that you could come to the table with mm-hmm. whatever belief you had and whatever sort of life you know like uh, worldview that you had, um, and if you had the wherewithal to form a band and write the songs and play the songs and book the shows and end up on stage, then you earned the right to be there. Yeah. And that was all that it took, right? You had to play mm-hmm. some part in it. Mm-hmm. You had to either yep. have a zine or have a little distro table at the show. Do a shows, college radio show. Do a college yeah, radio yeah, show or yeah, whatever something. it was. Yeah. But as long as you were a part of the scene and you were contributing, you were given it didn't matter what a you piece believe. of the pie, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, in terms of – Shut up and let them say what they're going to say. Mm-hmm. When you want to start a band and be up there, you can do that, and we'll let you do the same thing. And that's like that's missing in general, like from just discourse society. <laughs> today, yeah. right? And hardcore is almost like this time capsule of like, look, it's possible. Like yes. you can actually do it. You can like be disagree and still you be can like disagree friends. and be homies yeah. with people. Like yeah. it's still it works, you know. I will say that, and, and, and I'm going to get off this topic, but I will say that it is funny hearing you guys talk about this when, you know, you'd be getting crap for being a quote unquote religious on a religious label where, you know, uh, a good portion of the bigger bands in the hardcore scene were then bringing Hare Krishna into mm-hmm. the, those rooms. You know, how yeah. how funny is it that, you know, they'll accept one religion, yeah. but the, the other one is, you know, so. Yeah, totally. Yeah. But that, I think that's just, part of... Why there was an underbelly of acceptance, though, is because sure. yeah. it wasn't just Christianity. Mm-hmm. Yep. Where, like in metal, it's kind of like you're either a Christian band or you're just a metal band. Yeah. You know, like in hardcore, it was like there were Baha'i, there were Buddhists, yeah. there were, you know, there was all sorts of bands sort of doing their thing. Absolutely. Um, and so because of that, it sort of created this, you know, foundation of like, yeah, yeah straight edge. We, there's vegan. there's all space little, for all those. Yeah, totally. All those yep. Things. There's all these little, you know, compartmentalized micro genres, yeah, micro awesome. scenes. It was yeah. great. Yeah. 
And now you have Furnace Fest where, you know, Hatebreed and MXPX can play together <laughs> yep. and, and Demon Hunter and, 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 and Training for Utopia and then, you know, uh, Turnstile and Dying Wish and all these different kind of bands can come together. So, Well, I never uh, thought that TFU would play with Youth of Today, so I'm, ex- I'm ecstatic. <laughs> that's awesome, dude. Hey, there you go. Yeah. The, the old Krishna and the, yep, you know, so yep. that's awesome. So, um, okay, so Training for Utopia, is there any chance, and I have to do it. Is there any chance of a new song ever down the road? Yeah, I mean, this is probably as good a place to talk about it as any. Uh, I will say this all hinges on the fact or on the on, you know, whether or not we can pull it off because we haven't as a band played the song yet. But uh, there is a song written and demo recorded and, you know, all that for a new song, um, which We'll see the light of day at some point, but we are Killer. also planning on playing it live. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, there's a new song called Out on Parole. Yeah. Um, and there's a handful of other songs that when this whole thing sort of became a reality, I happened to have some time and yeah. I was just in Demoville in my head. And so uh, I was just every day I was like eh, going, you know, going for it. Yeah. So there's there's a handful of songs and there's a handful more of ideas and so I don't know what's going to come of it, of that in the future. At the very least, we've got this one song that we'll see the light of day, um, but who knows? Maybe more than that. That's amazing. And your son's going to be able to see you play in training for Utopia. Yes, I'm super stoked. Yeah, yeah. My son Cash, 17. He's a huge music fan, and I'm, you know, as he loves all the stuff that I love, and so I'm on, you know, I'm on cloud nine. That's so, amazing. Yeah. What what was his you know kind of foray was it was it the Metallicas and the ACDCs or did well he just you know go? what's what's cool is that I never saw it coming I didn't think that he'd get into music you know yeah. um, and it you, almost, you weren't the pushy dad no I wasn't I mean we had you know his uncle was in a metal band and so like we we it, he was around it but I wasn't when I kind of left the band I really left the band yeah. I wasn't I it I was focused on my career and having kids and you know a family. Um, so him, he has a really good buddy that's also into music, and nice. they kind of just like got into it um, together. And then uh, you know it was almost like, oh yeah, my dad was in bands, you know, like yeah. so. Um, you know, I think like he's yeah, like, damn right, son. yeah, exactly. <laughs> but he um, he got into like Havoc and Metallica, nice. and you know he he's he's better than I am in terms of a, a guitar player. He is um, he's. Yeah, he's worked his butt off this last year, and he's getting really good. But yeah, I would say he's more into like guitar gods and and guys that like are really like talented. Whereas I just wanted to pick up a guitar and bang on it and go tour like that. That was. Mm -hmm. um, We got a young Michael Shanker on our hands. Well, I told him like if you want to, like if you want to, it was early on. Now he's he's you know much better. But I, I told him like. Learn how to play the right way so you can play the wrong way. Yeah, <laughs> like, exactly. Like, you know, and like all these guys, Mustaine and Zach Wild, I don't, yeah. you know, they never took lessons. They just figured it out. And they're some of the best guys, you know, and that's what he's done, you know. And that's cool. Yeah, super cool. I'm, like I said, living the, you know, uh, having the time of my life with with him, um, getting into all these bands. And we're able, what's cool is all these bands are still playing for the most part. Oh, we yeah. went, we've seen Quick, Quicksand a couple times. We've seen, nice. we saw Helmet. Um, we went to Furnace Fest, obviously saw a bunch of bands, but yeah. we've yeah, we've been to like fifty shows in the last year and a half and cool. And I'm I'm He'll so... even have a chance to see Pantera. Exactly. <laughs> we have tickets actually, yes. Um I have 
you know, I've never seen Metallica. So when those tickets yeah. came up, I was like, I these guys are going to be 61 years old, yep. I think. I have to we have to do it. Yeah, so I got to do it now. Forget yeah. the mortgage for a week. Yeah, <laughs> no. So yeah, eighteen hundred bucks for three tickets. There we go. All right. And, oh my gosh. Yeah. yeah. I'm like, all right. All yeah. right. Let's. It's go. well worth it though. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, awesome. Okay. Yeah. So y- you guys are now, uh, I guess, like you guys are at least a northwest portion of the band. Um, and so this is uh, obviously a local show. Um, what are some of your favorite northwest bands? You know, um, of all time. I'm gonna go first because he's gonna steal. All- no, I'm just kidding. Uh, we're gonna, yeah, we're gonna yeah. say the same bands. I'm right. gonna say the same ones. <laughs> Uh, no. Uh, go, go ahead. From from a hardcore standpoint, uh, obviously Botch, Undertow, Kiss yeah. Goodbye. Undertow just re- played the Indecision 30 years. Yes, I heard about Dude, that. I watched videos. I was like, um, Kiss Goodbye is probably my favorite hardcore band yeah. from here. Um, uh, Foo Fighters, Alice in Chains. I mean, you know, yeah. I mean, Foo Fighters would technically, I think, back then be considered a Seattle band. Well, Dave Grohl like yeah. wrote the whole yeah, first they, thing here and, and yeah. yeah, so. Yeah, yeah, I'm gonna say Foo Fighters. Totally. Okay. Yeah. Um, I almost forgot about Kiss of Goodbye. That's a I I love it. I love Kiss of Goodbye. Um, I would say like generally speaking, and from a really young age, Alice in Chains by a long shot. Yeah. Um, I'm sitting here wearing a Pearl Jam shirt. Yeah. I I kind of like a lot of people probably my age. Um, kind of really just like the early Pearl Jam stuff. As a band like Alice in Chains, I. Consistently like what they yeah. do, um, and I would say on a more niche level, uh, Black Breath was, oh, yeah. you know, R.I.P. Elijah, man. Yeah, I know. I when they were around, I mean, I basically went to every every local so show. Good. Have Vegan you heard Neil's restaurant. new band, Vacuum? Uh, I have not. Yeah, dude, I'm sure he's it's in, good. He still got that. He is the best voice. Oh yeah, he, he's amazing. That he has a new kind of <clears> like punkish <throat> DB. But still, I saw him play at Capitol Hill Block Party down at the oh, Cha Cha, and uh, yeah, Vacuum. Check him That's out. That's a great right. name. Yeah. That is a, I can't believe it's not taken. I right? <laughs> yeah, they were just they were that band where they could set up like in a living room, or yep. they could play Numos, and it would always sound so good, like yep. no matter where. And they were so tight. They it was like you look at them, and it looks like they're barely holding on, but it's. Yep. Perfect. It was just mm-hmm. perfect every single time, and I've, I've, you can hardly ever find any other band that that nailed it like they did. I wish everyone would have got to see them, but yeah, they were my favorite. Me and my wife would go to basically every show that they played, Amazing. even if it was a hundred miles in any direction. So. That's awesome. Black Breath, some Alice in Chains, some Pearl Jam. We got some under. Okay, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, guys, right on. Well, uh, thank you so much for coming up, dude. Yeah, thanks for having um, us. Thanks. For, yeah, thanks you so much. It's it's been rad to talk to you guys. I kind of just threw this out idea out there. Didn't know if you guys would be down to talk, but I'm so thankful that you to talk about this because uh, again, they're going to be playing Friday, September 15th. This is their first show in 23 years. 23 ish, yeah. Uh, with Eris at El Corazon, and and Eris, if you, if you're not familiar, that's John from Undertow's band, incredible band. Um, and uh, you can catch them Friday, September 15th. Tickets are available now. Uh, they're also going to be playing Furnace Fest, going to be playing at what's the venue in Portland? Uh, Hawthorne Theater on the 17th, Sunday, the 17th of September. Right on. And uh, any final words for the Northwest audience for Metal Shop before we go? Tickets are not sold out. Okay. So come on out. We, yeah. yeah, we want to yeah, see you guys. It'll be fun. It'll be a good It'll be a good show, and it'll be a lot of fun. And we got we got outfits. Okay, just, yeah. just give us some grace. We're gonna. It's gonna <laughs> you know, we have no idea what's gonna happen, but uh, we're excited. 
Nice. All right. Well, training for Utopia. We're going to go into a final song here, A Good Feeling. Uh, anything you guys want to say about this one? This was our first, you know, after we had basically got signed off of the EP, this was mm-hmm. our first thing, like, actually on a label, yeah. on a full-length record, first song of that record. Um, I had heard, like, that sort of emergency broadcast beep thing at some point, and I was like, it would be cool to start a song with sort of a feedbacky kind of and then actually say the words this is only a test and sort of like yeah you know meld them into the lyric somehow and i don't know if it had ever been done prior to that i feel kind of proud that <laughs> we were the ones to do that this is only a test be kind of make that a song so nice well it's a good feeling training for utopia again friday september 15th at el corazon it's metal shop here on the rock this is only a test This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Calling all pop culture enthusiasts. Are you obsessed with all things celebrity? Do you live for the drama, the laughs, and the unexpected moments that unfold on social media? Then you're going to want to tune in to the Comments by Celebs podcast. Join us three times a week as we deep dive into every aspect of pop culture. Whether it's dissecting the latest trends or just chatting about your favorite celebs, Comments by Celebs has you covered. We have new episodes out every week. Follow and listen to Comments by Celebs on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.